starting a, uh, a series today, and I don't actually, it might, it might last uh, a while, I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but um, starting a series on worship, and, um, and actually what it's called is Closer, is the title of the series, and, um, and it's just a worship series, and because it's not what worship is all about, it's at some level we are closing that relational gap, and we're, we're getting closer and, uh, and so for the next few weeks, I want to talk about um, that and what are the types of things that would bring us closer in worship. And, um, and actually, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this week on this. Next week, I, I, in fact, I just finalized it yesterday. We have an opportunity. There's a man um, who is, uh, he's actually used to, when he was younger, used to attend Grace Fellowship and, um, in here in town. And then, uh, and then he was, um, uh, I think, on staff at a church in Omaha. And then for the last few years, has been at Bethel um, in Redding, California. And now he's, he's still there, but he's interning with a guy named Steve Backlund, Stephen Wendy Backlund. And so uh, Mitch Ivey over at Grace Fellowship asked if uh, next week if we'd want to have him at our church. And I said, yes, we would love to. And so he's going to come, and our elders were, were thought that would be a good idea. And so we're going to have him come and just bless us and continue this whole um, uh area that we've been in with just pursuing a move of God in this place and so come expectant that this guy his name is Tracy Rice I don't know if you've ever met him before so Tracy's going to come and share with us and I'm really excited about next week and then the following week um, I'm going to share a message uh, um, uh, let me let me just start this series by just saying there is all kinds of uh, um, definitions and thoughts about worship what is, if I were to just ask that question, you know, we would, um, uh, there'd be all kinds of, of definitions that you guys would give me. And, and so I want to I define it a little bit. But in two weeks, what I'm going to talk about is, um, is that there worship is, part of it is expressive. Um, that there is this place uh, for uh, an expression of worship that, that where it use, actually uses your body and your own voice. How many know, like, you know, nobody else might like to hear you sing, but God does, right? You know? And, uh, and so, like, your actual voice and your actual body. And so we're going to talk about um, expressive worship um, in a couple weeks. Um, and I'm really excited about that message. And then we'll just see where it goes from there. Uh, President uh, Randall Bach will be here in three weeks. I'm um, he, he actually told me um, he had a sense from God that he's supposed to talk about the call of God on our lives. Um, and so that's a, I'm, I'm interested in that. If anyone's interested in, in the call of God, um, you might want to be here in three weeks. Um, uh, the, the title for today's specific message is um, With All My Heart. With All My Heart. And didn't, uh, like when... Um, this this table has been kind of bugging me that it's uh, and I'm not OCD or anything, but um, it, w- it was like crooked. Is anyone looking at the table and not me? So I don't know. <laughs> With all my heart. Y- have you ever said that to somebody? I love you with. With all my heart. And and so and that I, as I was looking at worship, I'm like, man, that's got to be the starting place, right? Um, because we're g- we can talk about songs and flavors, and I was even in my, uh, just in my own study, was remembering, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you know, when I was just um, a little kid and kind of growing up in the church, and remembering some of the songs that we used to sing, right? And, 
and uh, and I was I remember you know um, growing up in Phoenix Arizona in a small church of like I think on the on good days there might have been like like sixty or seventy people there you know what I'm saying and I just was I was remembering some of those days but I was also realizing that what we do here for two hours on a Sunday is just an expression of worship like it is. Uh, um, it, it isn't it, worship in its entirety. It isn't defined by the songs that we sing or, uh, or the, the messages that we preach. It's, not ju- it's, it's part of it. It's just not the whole thing. That really, when, when we talk about worship, that worship, that what happens in this room on a Sunday morning, it actually is an expression of what's been happening all week long in your life. And that's why sometimes it's hard to quote-unquote worship when we come into this place because we haven't been putting our heart in a place of worship all week long. Does that make sense? Like, for instance, if you don't like Jesus very much, I can't expect for you to worship him. If there's, if there's a, um, a, a relational gap between you and God, then I can't expect for you to be falling on your face before him like right now. Or, you know, when we're sitting. Like, so there's a, there's a direct connection between how are things going with you and him and what, even what type of expression in worship you're going to be able to, to. Otherwise, you're just faking it till you make it, right? So we're, uh, we're, we're starting. We're starting off. I felt like starting off January, let's like, let's like, let's like refocus on worship. What is this all about? You know, wherever you are in your journey, you can always be closer. I don't know where you're at on your journey with the Lord. And so today, even as I'm talking, I'm going to share a few things. And it may, you might, oh, man, that's a little bit harder. I want you to know, like, I've had, uh, God's having to talk to me all week long, and then I finally get to you. And so I've already had the ouch part of some of the things I might share. And so just, I just want you to know, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, and so when a lot of times when I preach a message, what happens is is it, it's like buckshot over every, and and you may say you know between the Lord and I we're we're good we're fine we're, you know and, and so um, if the Holy Spirit is challenging in you in area I want you to I want you to take note of that, um, but if you're like hey that's a good message pastor but I'm doing just fine then then be all right with that just know that um, I'm not I'm not Holy Spirit in your life, um, but wherever you are in your journey, you can be closer. Like, in other words, you haven't arrived yet. Like, like uh, now I'm an usher, I've arrived. Now I'm an elder, I've arrived. I am the pastor of the church. I have now, I'm an expert. On, no, no. Like, wherever we're at in our, in our journey, we can always be close. There's always more. There's always more. There's always, a, there's always more of the relational gap to close. And part of why we're on this 21 days of prayer and fasting and I encourage you, if, if maybe you had somewhere along the line you, you hadn't uh, realized that we were in a 21 days of prayer and fasting, or for some reason you just decided not to start yet, can I just say, uh, you're totally fine. Let's just start now. Let's just start now. You got two, you know, we got two more weeks of this. And pick something. Can I challenge you to pick something? Um, whether it be a food, whether it be like a, a meal, whether it be like uh, whatever it might be, maybe you're going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from broccoli or you know, someone, right, you know, just whatever it is, but can I, just, can I just say, let it be something that challenges you. Let it be something, when, you, when you're fasting, let it be something that, that kind of hurts a little bit, you know? Like, you know, may, maybe some of you are like, I'm going to fast coffee. You're like, oh, wait a minute, coffee, not that. Right? She's like, she's like, ah, probably not. 
you know, I don't know what it might be for you, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing that my family and I are doing and not, uh, you know, not in a place of wanting to, um, you know, just share. A lot of times with fasting, you want to keep that personal. But um, a lot of what I do as a pastor is I want to be able to teach and share and give examples. And one thing my family and I are doing, even my girls, um, I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old. And um, and and so Becky and I and the girls, we are fasting from everything media, television, movies, social media, electronics. And I mean that. I mean that, that's crazy because we're in, we're right in the middle of football season, you know. And so you know what I'm saying. So it, like this is, it, I, I have just I have just found even over the last uh, you know week, um, how often did I like go to my go to my phone, you know, and I'm and I'm and like. And my, it's like this, it's like this, uh, I don't know, like there's a spirit inside my thumb and it wants to like find out what the score was or, you know, wants to, you know I'm like, right? And so I just, I just want to challenge you. I don't know what it might be, but if you're not doing something, would you just, as a, as a corporate body, as a church, would, can I just challenge you to, to pick something for the next two weeks that you're just saying, I'm giving this thing up so that I can get closer and it, it doesn't do any good. You know, you could fast and it just be, um, you know, it'd just be like a diet. So it doesn't do any good to just give something up without replacing it with something that says, God, I want to I wanna get closer to you. And so, like, even as, as our family and me, like, I'm, you know, I'm, there's more intentionality even than before in time in the Word, in time in prayer. Um, there's times where, where I've actually come out here. There's a small group of people that come out uh, at 6 a.m. to this church. Before the sun comes up. How many know that, like, you probably didn't even know Jesus was awake at that time. He, I found out he was. I didn't realize it. I found out he was. And so um, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying some of that to preface because um, God may be saying, hey, um, let's just break out of the norm. Let's just break out of the norm. I know you would normally not come at 6 a.m., but would you, would you try it once? I know that you would normally not, like, give up x y and z but would you do it for me just try it once it's only two weeks all right does that sound good and that segues right into our uh, our message i um and i was with a bunch of citywide pastors um this last week and and they were uh, a topic came up as we were as we were just discussing and having fellowship together and it actually was resonated with everything that i'm wanting to share even today and the topic came up with this and, and guess what i'm, I'm still not shooting this at anybody in particular, just all of us get caught up in this. It's called cultural Christianity. It's called cultural Christianity. In other words, if I'm American, Republican, and like guns, like I'm a Christian, and we laugh, but it's, it's a mindset, and it's so true. The, the, other, the, the other part of this is like, um, uh, and I know I didn't grow up in Kearney, but I'm, I'm still kind of part of it. For seven and a half years, I've been, been part of this thing. And, and some of you grew up here, grew up in, in Nebraska. You know that there's like a, there's like a, a, an unhealthy pride because I live in Kearney. It's an interesting thing. 
it's like, or even Nebraska, even beyond Connor. It's like there's this thing of like, we're conservative. We're, and I'm poking a bear because, watch this, all those things are okay and they're good, but they don't equal I love Jesus. There's people that go to church because of a social status. There's people that go to church in, in our area and, and all around the world. I'm talking about our area and, and, and the surrounding because it's the right thing to do. Because of how it, like, I, I joke sometimes, you guys know, like I, I say there's a, mil- there's a you know, million reasons why we go to church and one of them might be God. You know, it is. Like, that's more than a joke. It's true. <laughs> so watch. If I had preach a message on worship, like how good is it for me to preach a message on worship and not talk about the heart? Like why we even come? Like why this whole thing? Like it has to come back to this place of I am desperately in love with a Savior. Everything else isn't even a close and if we can't answer that, like we truly can't come with this genuine place of worship. Like we just, we just can't. And that's not shooting at anybody. It's just, it's just true. And I, I would rather you say, Pastor Jonathan, like, like I actually believe everything you're saying. I'm just not ready for it yet. I'd rather you just say that than to fake it. You know what Jesus said? I like it when Jesus says it because then it wasn't me. Then you can't get mad at me. I, you can get mad because I repeated it. But Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot for me or what? Cold against me. Because if you're lukewarm, he says, I would like throw you up out of my mouth. Gross. And I think that he thinks that too sometimes. I, I think he thinks that sometimes, sometimes what we bring him is gross. Not all the time. Sometimes, right? Because if it's not hot for him or cold again, it's just this straddling the fence thing. If it's just this cultural Christianity, then then sometimes he's like, uh, that's disgusting. Welcome to January. Worship is really defined by what we give or assign worth or value to. So if we were to say, hey, are you a worshiper? And you're like, ah, you know, I don't know, you are. You're a worshiper regardless, even if you don't know you're a worshiper. Because whatever you give or assign value and worth to is what you worship. And so really what we're saying is, how much do you value and give worth to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords? Um, and uh, like I, so I, man, I grew up in I grew up in a in a um, kind of a Pentecostal charismatic church similar to this, and 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 then my my dad. Some of you guys have met my parents. Some, any of you guys get to meet my mom that came? And um, if you're a woman in here and you came to the to that banquet, just clap real quick. All right, so man, there's a lot. Of, so it wasn't that wasn't that a good time? I I assume because I I wasn't here. 
Um, I did come in. I tried to get in, come in like incognito with my like uh, beanie and my coat, and I, I walked through to, to like escort my mom out. And and for s- I, I didn't realize how many of our ladies like me because they kept stopping and wanting to shake my hand. And I'm like, well, this is cool. This is awesome. I didn't even do anything, but I feel like I did something. Just but so my my parents they pastored a church in Arizona, and, and I, so I grew up in that environment, Pentecostal, charismatic. So it, it tended towards um, where we would be somewhat expressive in worship, but I, I remember 16 years old making that decision, I was going to be all for him. Like it was going to be, it was going to be all. And, uh, and, and it was even for me, it, part of it was, it was even defined by the way I physically worshiped God with my body. Like I was one of those young teenagers that would like jump up and down and, and, and like put my hands in the air and I'd be on my knees and I'd be crying or I'd be singing really loud or you know what I'm just because it was like man I want God so bad and I don't care what anyone else thinks about it because I just want him right um I mean and so I mean there was all kinds of of instances but uh, man I I just I remember some moments. I remember moments where um, even as a, um, a like a young twenty something in, in Spokane, Washington, and and my friends and I were so passionate. Like we call passion like express. I know that some of you are passionate and you prefer to sit. That's fine, but my passion meant <laughs> we were like running across the the. Um, we, we there was this prayer chapel that we had, and we were just like, I want you, God, and we were just like running, and by the end of worship, we were like exhausted, like we actually worked out and worshiped at the same time, you know, I mean, it was just amazing, like, ah, I gotta have you, Lord, and I, and I have found that, I mean, worship sometimes is defined by that, but it, but you can have that without having the heart of worship. You can have someone with their hands raised or dancing or twirling or doing whatever the expressive part is and, and it not be, and, and the heart not, not be there. But when the heart's there, it is so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, I'm reminded of a verse in Matthew. Um, I didn't write it down here. I think it was Matthew 6. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added. Um, I just think about it sometimes because how often do we want the things of God but we don't want God? And that's part of that whole cult- cultural Christianity thing, right? You know? It's like, like I, I want the, like even, I want the breakthrough. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody like need breakthrough in their life? Like when we're talking about, like I need, like my, my finances need breakthrough, my body needs breakthrough, my husband needs breakthrough, right? whatever it might be. And you're just like, I just need, you know, sometimes we want the breakthrough more than we want the person that gives breakthrough. And, and, I, and I've been thinking about this thing because as we, uh, as we venture into the rest of, of this year, first of all, uh, you know, maybe half of you won't come back next week because I decided to preach a hard message on the first Sunday. But as we venture into this year, maybe the breakthrough comes after we put him first and worship him with everything that we got. It seems like Jesus said that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. There was this, man, there was this place. uh, There there were people that not only they were caught up in this cultural um, 
religious thing in the Bible, but they also, like, somehow they, they were able to do the real deal things of the kingdom without relationship with Jesus. In, in Matthew 7, the, these people come to him, and they said, they said uh, you know, teacher, like, like, we've, like, cast out demons. How many know if you have the ability to cast out a demon? That's like, um, like you, could, you, could, like you could be on my, my elder team. <laughs> Right? I mean, if you're one of those, heal the sick, they said. Like, we've healed the sick. If, if, if somebody gets healed, like physically healed in a church here in Kearney, like revival is going to break out. You know, cast out demons, heal the sick. Now watch this. Raise the dead. I mean, they were just talking about these things. We've raised the dead. Like, all of, really? I mean, this is real deal. This is like, this is big time stuff. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, he said, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, we didn't know each other. You did the stuff of the kingdom, and we didn't, we didn't know each other. Like, the, the, the foundation of worship, this, this relationship, that word know in the original language had to do with a relational know. It wasn't just knowledge about him. It was a relational knowledge. And he says, I never knew you. So with all my heart, I love you with all my heart. If I were to just ask you, do you love God with all your heart? Like a lot of you would probably say yes, but here, this is interesting. There's a, there's a book that I actually have it in my office. It's a real thin book um, written years ago by a guy named Robert Boyd Munger. And uh, he, call, he called it, My Heart Cries Home. My Heart Cries Home. And the idea in this book is it was as it, it's kind of this, this uh, uh, oh, an analogy or allegory or whatever of, of what if Jesus came into your heart and your heart was was like a house and you invited him in and a lot of us have done that where we have invited jesus in and and so he gets to come into like our living room right and we like turn on our flat screen tv and, and we're like but we only watch tbn you know and he gets to watch sits down with us and you know or the discovery channel and then maybe, maybe, maybe we invite him into the kitchen of our heart. He gets to be in our living room in our kitchen. And he's walking down the hallway. Um, you know, and he, he goes to, like, open up the closet. And you're like, oh, except for that room, John. Like, no, not the closet. You don't get the closet. And, and, uh, and oh, you can come into the guest restroom. But you can't, you know, that other restroom, no, just this, right? And so he's like, a, he's a guest in our in our home, and, and uh, um, you can't come into the bedroom. Um, you can come into our game room in the, in the family room, but don't go into, and we, we would never say this out loud, but we do this, that there's areas of our heart that he's allowed in, and there's areas of our heart that he's not allowed in, and so you can only worship him, truly worship him with the parts of your heart that you've actually given to him. The end of the book goes to this place where um, not only did the man allow him into finally into every area of his heart, but then instead of Jesus being a guest, he turned over the keys and the title deed, and it was his heart now. I mean, and that's the, that's the place of total surrender, that he's not a guest in my heart anymore. He owns it. It's his. With all my heart. With all my heart. So the question is, does he have all my heart? Here's the main thought, is to the degree that God has my heart is the degree that I will truly worship. 
degree that God has my heart is the degree that I will truly worship. In other words, I can't worship God with parts of my heart that I haven't given him. So I want to talk about a story for the next few minutes um, in the Bible. And, uh, and some of you would be really familiar. Um, Genesis 22. Do you guys remember Abraham and Isaac? And there's this. Uh, so, so before this, Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't uh, get pregnant for years and years and years. And had probably given up on the idea because she was past childbearing age. And, and I don't know what that age actually is, but th- they, they were there. And I mean, they were they were well on. In fact, I believe uh, I believe uh, Abraham was was maybe was close to ninety, and I mean that's a big deal. Um, I don't. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of who's close close to there. But um, but just be thinking about the fact that you get to that age, and you're not thinking about having children. Is that correct? Am I? So God God comes to them and basically says, "I'm going to do a miracle." And Sarah's like, "No, no, I'm just joking." That's not that didn't happen, and so, but I'm going to do a miracle and Sarah and, and, and Abraham and all this stuff. And, and eventually, uh, long story short, the miracle happened and Sarah conceived. And I'm and I'm bypassing a lot of details here in this story that you, it'd be great for you to read in, in the book of Genesis. But we get to this place where they, she finally conceives the promise. And from this this promise it wasn't just that you're going to have another baby. And we go, that's a cool deal. But from this baby is going to come nations and rulers and kingdoms and like, like countless people groups and people like this. This was a, a humongous promise from God. And so then we come to Genesis 22 and it says, and sometime later, um, but it's interesting in the Bible when it says, and sometime later, that usually means years. And and, eh, sometime later, um, years, uh, God tested Abraham. And Isaac is probably uh, a young man at this point. So you have to keep that in mind. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham. And he said, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Which is a really interesting thing, because uh, if you've read the story, he wasn't Abraham's only son. There was, an, there was another son um, because Abraham had tried to take matters into his own hands and thought that the promise wasn't going to come fast enough. And, and so um, he ended up um, sleeping with Sarah's uh, um, servant, and, and they had a baby. His name is Ishmael. And uh, Ishmael is the uh, father of all of the, the Middle Eastern Arab uh, world now. And uh, so he wasn't the only son. But, um, but Isaac was the only son that God had promised. And, and as uh, Ishmael was sent off, in essence, before God and Abraham, Isaac was the only son. But, that was, but that's a, a small portion. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. He's basically saying, you, I, uh, Abraham, do you remember? You remember like when I came to you? And I, and I just said that you're going to have children, and you thought that was crazy. But then, like, the miracle came and the breakthrough. You remember that? And, and like, you had a baby. And uh, you remember that part, Abraham? He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, you remember how, like, it's your son, it's your only son, the one, like, the one that you love, the one that you would do anything for? Yeah, I, I, I remember that, God. He's like, 
and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. And Abraham had to have thought that it was the hot wings he had the night before. Right? I, I love the story because as we move on, you start to see that Abraham just responds. He, he doesn't question. He just responds. He just, in fact, in a few verses you'll hear, he says, early the next morning. Like, I would have probably waited um, and, until at least after breakfast. And, right? And he gets up early the next morning and he chops. Abraham, this is an interesting place, and I want to show you why we're tying this to worship. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. It's interesting that God wasn't addressing a sin issue with Abraham. He was addressing, is there something in your life, Abraham, that you have elevated um, beyond me? Is there something in your life, Abraham, that's more important? I was talking to a, a actually a brand new friend yesterday. And I said, hey, I, this is just my thought. I, I could be wrong. But I feel like, especially in our American culture, that... Um, for a lot of people, our children have become idols. I was like, oh, it's like that. That makes so much sense. It, it, because because how you, you look you look at like our, our culture and I mean, 25, 30 years ago, what, what did what did like church uh, worship look like? Well, you were there three or four times a week 25, 30 years ago, right? I mean, three or four times a week. Like, there was Sunday morning, there was Sunday evening, there was a Wednesday night thing, and then, like, for the really, like, committed people, then there was, like, another prayer service and, you know, or something like that, and the, the revival services and the Jericho marches and, you know, whatever it might be. And then you fast forward to today, and, and now it's three or four times every six or eight weeks. And it's, and, 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 and there's not a... Um, some of that might not be bad. There's a change in culture. And the, as we were talking yesterday, um, we thought, is it something that you fight against or is it something that you just roll with? And I said, I don't know. I don't know if you have to fight against it. I don't know. But I do think there's an indicator of something in our culture that says, man, it's the, like, this, all the sport things I have to get my kids to, all the recitals, all the, all the dance things, all the, all the this and all the that and all of that. And it's like somehow, and I don't know that it's the culture's fault, but somewhere along the line, I think the church abdicated its authority and the, uh, the school system and the, and the city things and all of this stuff all of a sudden started taking precedent. And then we just started saying, you know what? Uh, that's all right. We can give up that time slot. We can give up that. You know, uh, one and a half times a week is fine. How about just three times a, every two months? And so now statistics say that the regular church attendance, like the committed believers, committed followers of Jesus, regular church attendance is probably like three every, every six or eight weeks. Isn't that just, it's just an interesting thought. And so I, I look here, and God is asking something of Abraham. And I wonder, now he would never ask us to uh, murder our children, <laughs> by the way. By the way. But that thought of what is more important than him. And so, so he, he asks Abraham for, for Isaac, and, and he responds early the next morning in verse 3. Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and on his, 
and his son Isaac when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. So I, I just, some of these little details in this passage where uh, he stopped with his servants and they, they took time to cut wood and to pile it up. And this whole time Abraham is thinking, we're, this is to sacrifice my son. We're going to burn him. We're going we're gonna to kill him and then we're going to burn him is what Abraham's thinking. He is cutting wood while he's thinking that. Can you imagine that? And so they get enough wood to go on a, uh, you, you see here, it's a, it's a three-day trek, and they're carrying the wood, and they're carrying the fire, and they're carrying the knife, and they go on this journey, and this whole time, you got to be thinking Abraham's, like, there has to be another way. There has to be another way. And so, they, and so they go on. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Can I tell you something? I don't, maybe you already knew this. You know, the very first place that worship is ever mentioned in the Bible is right here. The very first place that the word worship and the concept of worship is ever mentioned in the whole Bible is right here. On this first day, this first Sunday in, in the new year, in uh, I wanted us to talk about the very first place worship was ever talked about, and in, it was talked about in association with sacrifice. It, it, Abraham told him that I love the faith that he has. We're going to go there and we're going to worship and we're going to come back. In other words, he somehow knew that him and Isaac were going to come back. But I love that worship is connected to sacrifice. It goes on. And uh, uh, oh, here, here, here's a thought. Sacrifice. We, sometimes we wonder what sacrifice means. And in our culture, this is what sacrifice means because we don't do burnt offerings and things like that anymore. Here's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is a step beyond convenience. Right? Can we think about what that might be in our own life? Sacrifice is a step beyond convenience. And we move on in verse 6. And Abraham took the, the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? This is an interesting place. Isaac was obviously old enough to know something was going on. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Even at this point, he knew some God was going to come through. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about Abraham, again, look at all of the detail of what Abraham, Abraham had to do. He built an altar there. He arranged all that wood that they carried for three days up to, the, up to this mountain. He arranged the wood on it. And then I'd like to know what the conversation was here because he bound his son alive. And he placed his son on top of the wood. He laid him on the altar. In verse 10, then, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can we picture this in our minds? Um, I'd, I'd like to know what was going through Isaac's mind at this moment. And Abraham has the knife, and the Bible says that he reached out 
his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Like right at the last possible second. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And watch this. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Can I just say that the, this whole story, it was never about Isaac. It was always about Abraham. Like, what's your, what's your Isaac? What's that thing that you are willing to sacrifice and lay down? He, in fact, you, in other words, what happened here in this story was that God, God says, hey, oh, I have your heart. I realize now, Abraham, that you love me with all your heart because you, you weren't going to withhold Isaac from me. This incredible place of worship, there was no music playing in the background. There was no tears. There was no, the booger crying that my, the guys always make fun of me because I say that too much. There was none of that happening. This first place of recorded worship had to do with a son bound up on the altar and a knife raised and God saying, I have your heart. That's all I wanted to know, Abraham. Drop the knife. Here's a ram in the thicket. I have your heart. God wanted to know that Isaac, that he was more important than Isaac. I want to, we're like, like maybe three and a half minutes from wrapping this up and then you guys can stay a little bit longer and worship if you want. You want to know kind of the, the cool thing about this story? Okay, I'll tell you. You fast forward like four or five hundred years from this story. And the same place, Mount Moriah, there's another guy in the picture. His name is King David. And he had just sin before God, and we don't all understand the whole picture of the sin, but, but it had something to do, he, God didn't want him to count all of his armies, God wanted him to trust him, and David ended up deciding to count all of the armies instead, and, and, uh, and so God was actually angry with King David, and because of this sin, God basically tells King David um, through the prophet Gad um, you, you've got three choices. Any of you as parents ever said, okay, you're in trouble and you've got three choices? You, you can pick one of them, right? I don't know. Have, have you ever done that? God did that with, uh, with King David. The first, the first had to do with you could pick three years of famine for, for this area. You could pick three months of your enemies, like, uh, ransacking you. Or you could pick three days of a plague, um, just totally demolishing things. And David said, I, I, I don't want to fall at the hands of men. I want to be, be at the mercy of God. And so let me, whatever it might be, that I just want to be at, at, at your mercy. And so it was three days of plague. 70,000 people died because of David's sin. And the death angel was coming and about ready to touch Jerusalem. And, and God says, stop, and everything stopped at this little piece of real estate called the threshing floor of Arun. And it was in this place that David, in broken because of his sin, he's like, he's like, don't touch the people, touch me, touch my family. It was I that did this. And he says, he says, 
uh, I, I need to build an altar here. And so he approaches Aruna and he says, I'd like to buy your piece of, of property and I'd like to build an altar. And, and Aruna says, you can have it, king. You can just have, I'll just give this whole thing to you. And what did King David say? He says, he says, I will not offer to God a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Let me pay full price for this. He said that in First Chronicles 21, 24. And so he so he builds the altar and they worship the Lord on this piece of real estate. It was the same piece of real estate that Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice Isaac. Isn't that crazy? Four or five hundred years later, the same place. You want to know what's even more crazier? Not too long after that, David's son, um, Solomon, he built the permanent place of worship called the temple in that same piece of real estate where people, priests would come before the Holy of Holies, where people of God would come and worship for years and years and years. That same temple mount is still there in Jerusalem. And I mean, it's, it's an incredible thing that the very first place that worship is ever mentioned is tied to this place of sacrifice between Abraham and Isaac. And all of these years later, the permanent place of worship for God's people is in the same exact spot. I'm just submitting to us that there's pos a possibility that God wants your heart more than the expression of it. Just submitting, in fact, Pastor Keller, you guys could come if you'd like, that it's possible that God wants sacrifice more than he wants lip service, more than he wants another song sung and all of these things. I mean, my wife was telling me that she was challenged by the fact that, uh, of the words of the song that we sing sometimes and how often do we um, sing things that we don't even believe. I was talking to my friend Matt um, Oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I think I was just saying, man, you know, we're, uh, we were talking, I think you and I were talking about this, this whole deal of, uh, of what's happened in our church culture over the last few years and how it's just kind of, people just attend less. And I, and I, I said, well, I think it's, um, I think people are just so much more busy. And he said something, he's like, he's like but busyness, uh, busyness is just an illusion. We're not really that busy. Like, Really? Like to one of the busiest guys I know. <laughs> He's like, we're really not that busy. We're, it, it's just priority. I'd like us to just come into this time right now, these last few minutes before we leave. Do you think that maybe you could just say, God, if there's anything here that we've talked about this morning that you want to challenge me in, would you just share that with me right now? Could you just put your heart before God and if God says, hey, um, that's your Isaac. Would you would you allow him to point it out? Just say, Lord, is there something that's more important than you? Is there something that you want? I like the verse in Romans 12. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What? This is your true and proper worship. Lord, we just lay ourselves down before you. 
There may be something that the Lord's stirring in your heart of, of how he wants you to participate in our prayer and fasting time over the next two weeks. Could your response to him just say, be yes, God, whatever you say, whatever you want, whatever it looks like, feels like, smells like, God, I just want you. I just want you. You know, normally we um, will end a time and, and we'll have uh, um, people up here to pray in the altars and if you need breakthrough prayer for anything. And I want you to know I'm here. If you want that, I'm, I'm here. If you need something, I'm here. But I was just sensing from the Lord is that could we just take a few minutes and just make this room an altar between you and him and just do some business, whether you need to turn around in your chair, whether you need to come up to the front or over into the altar. Could you just... Just as they lead us in a song here for these next few minutes, could you just make this place an altar and do business with God and respond to something in this message? Let's do that, Pastor Kelly, or Donna, I'm sorry. I can get